right, welcome to episode five of the Inner Space Podcast. Uh, today we have Eric Woolard of Warlord Studios, and uh, we go into a ton of different topics. Uh, it's it's mostly audio engineer kind of questions because of who he is, but we go from like building a studio to his software development and coding, even into the modern music and the progression through mixing styles for different genres. And then we kind of even go on a tangent about Facebook and gaming and stuff, but hopefully you like it. Moving right into the intro, uh, we have Eric Warlord with Woolard. Eric Woolard with Warlord Production. Uh, I'll take Warlord. I'll take Eric Woolard. Studios. Because you're looking at the stupid sign. It's not stupid. I but... said productions originally. And <laughs> yeah, then exactly. You said, said that in the other episode, and I was going to say like, something, but it got like... to the last minute. I was like, I don't want to make him think he needs to change anything, because it wasn't a big deal. And then I no, realized, I, I laughed I realized I heard like, it. right after that that it was studios. We need to I replace I this. <laughs> no, we don't. No. It's fine. Okay. So Eric literally ran the electrical for this whole house. Yep. And then repainted well, all the rooms and then all the foam insulation on every single wall. Yeah, that, pretty cool. that definitely took a while. That was a pain. And there's still a lot more to do. Uh, at this point, it's like I've gotten all of the like really necessary stuff taken care of. Yeah. So it's like, I've just been relaxing a little bit and just kind of looking at it like, okay, still need this and that, but it's so much work. Like you get like for the panels, like you build maybe 10 or 15 of them. And like halfway through that, you're like, Oh, this isn't too bad. I'll keep knocking them out. But when you get to about 10 or 15, you're like, I'm so ready to be done with this that I'm just going to leave what's missing there for probably months until I feel like doing it again. Right. That's how most of us are with projects in general. <laughs> so yeah. we can totally relate. It's me with laundry. Yep. We're going to see Eric on HGTV. He's going to have his own house, <laughs> a house flipping show. My yes. mom has been watching that. Uh, Fixer Upper? Yes. Every morning yeah. I wake They're, up. Those are the two most gorgeous people on the planet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What, the the kids or? <laughs> the, the, the people on the on the show it's that'd be amazing that'd be a great idea actually flip houses but not for living spaces or studio space for businesses yeah that too yeah but i'm talking like specifically studios like musicians you could have one specifically for like a cpa like built-in filing cabinets yeah yeah pimp my crib pimp my crib Got my studio. There you go. Yeah, so... We're copywriting all of this information. Don't try to steal it. Okay. <laughs> I have a segment of the podcast where it's just... Caleb, Disclaimers. Caleb, Caleb's big ideas. <laughs> yeah. We're just going to throw out these <laughs> dumbass... It's stuff. a recap after every episode. We're going to have Caleb's big ideas recaps throughout this episode. Yeah, whenever we start like, videoing like everything, we'll have, like... This little gnome that comes out and like with a wand and says, "This is being added the to the list for this episode." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're already adding to the list. Okay, so Eric, you're you were in the house up the street or up the driveway, right? Yeah. What is going on in that house now? 
Nothing at all. It's just sitting there. I mean, that place, like, from the get-go needed a lot of work. Um, and luckily, I was able to use it. Like, it, if I didn't have it, you know, I wouldn't have really had anything. So, uh, it definitely gave me my start. But uh, it's really just sitting there. Um, I think my parents were going to rent it out to someone. But uh, I don't think that ended up working out. So, it just sits there. It has some of our old stuff in it. It's kind of like a little storage place right now. But uh, yeah, nothing at all. I've gotten all my stuff out of there, and it's just sitting. Okay, so you started this when you were 15. Right. So when did you start playing, like, guitar? Uh, well, actually, I started with any instrument. Um, I started with bass, and I played bass for, I would say, I was probably 12 when I got my first bass for Christmas. And I played that for about a year, year and a half, uh, and then I was... Me and a, and a friend of mine were wanting to start, you know, a little band. And um, we, I don't know, everything he wrote, I would just, like, not have fun with it on bass. I guess it was probably the age, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's a bass player. But I eventually asked for a guitar for Christmas and uh, started playing guitar. And that was probably, I think that was my, I was 13. So I think that was, yeah, that Christmas. So it would be, like, 2008, I think. Uh, and I got that guitar then, and then ever since then, it's when I've been kind of playing guitar. Um, and that's kind of what led me to start um, recording in a way. Like, I, I bought a little Pod or Line 6 UX1 interface for Podform, which is a um, amp sim software, basically just uh, digital guitar amps. And I bought it to record myself playing just to, you know, like record ideas or whatever else, because everybody knows what it's like. Every musician knows what it's like to think of something in your head and then like just dig through your pants or your phone so you can find your recorder and, and play it and then just mouth out the part or something or tap out a little riff or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I bought it to start saving ideas and uh, kind of do some maybe like pre-production, just guitar tracks uh, for songs or whatnot. And eventually I, I got to the point where I was like, I want to figure out how to, to program drums so I can even make this and you know, take it a step further. Once I figured out how to do that, I, I realized, well, with this interface, I could run a mic into it. So if I can program drums and record guitars, I could record a band. I really shouldn't have thought that, but it ended yeah. up ended up uh, allowing me to record my first band, and then from there, I just kept kept trucking along. You're also YouTube sensation. <laughs> I yeah, wouldn't for guitar of all like this, metal you covers. Into that, huh? I'm not sure I would call it a sensation, but but that was uh, you were famous. <laughs> that was definitely. Uh, it was definitely cool. I wish YouTube was still the same that it used to be. Right. It's just it's so much different now. Yeah, it'd be great to kind of pick that back up. But circumstances now, plus you're trying to actually make a full-time living right. doing productions and stuff. It's 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 honestly weird how like if if you were wanting to start like a guitar cover channel of sorts these days, you'd probably do better making little like minute-long videos and just advertising them on Facebook and Instagram or yeah. you know, like together oh, through their That's ad. how anything yeah, with, you related would, with social media. You would have a better so. chance that way. And that's, that's kind of just shitty. You know, that's like, actually a good idea though. All right. We're adding that to the list of ideas. Oh yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not Caleb's big idea though. Dang it. These days, these days I'll, I'll literally just be More scrolling through Instagram <laughs> for other people's and I'll, I'll just start seeing all these ads of people playing songs on guitar. Like, yeah, like songs that they really like recorded. It's not like a, it's not like a, a camera's mic picking them up playing through an amp in a bedroom. Right. You know, like they actually 
they took, took the time, time to record it well and just made like a minute long Instagram video out of it. And it's like, right. that's what's really blowing up right now. Yeah. For sure. And then, yeah. So if you did that, the same idea, but instead of being on YouTube, do it on Facebook. Yeah, just do Facebook it on Facebook. Yeah. And that, I'm yeah. sure it would be way more successful. But you can't like monetize on Facebook through that, can you? I've, I'm not I'm really not sure, sure about, about that. all that. I'm not. Yeah, There's got to be a way because Facebook is starting to do the Facebook TV thing. Yeah, Facebook, Facebook Watch. Watch. Yeah. So there's got to be a way that they're starting to implement that. And also, which means more ads. I'm sure you've heard, but Facebook is also starting up a gaming section mm. of their website. I'm not sure what it's called or if they even I don't know what's the name yet. yet. Yeah. But they actually advertise for streamers on Twitch to switch over to Facebook. Yeah, they um, the uh, company ESL who does a lot of tournaments for oh, uh, like CS:GO, know, they, Dota. They sign people speaking exclusive yeah. other languages. Yeah. All right, this is Counter Strike for it's a ESL is a big tournament for Counter Strike. Dota um, two most recently, uh, the last most recent Dota two tournament was done on Facebook Watch only. Um, yeah, exclusively. So, so not not on YouTube live streaming or gaming. No, no Twitch, which is like the main platform yeah. for gaming. I see. Last season, ESL was exclusively partnered with YouTube Gaming. Right, I remember uh, that. And they did all of that with YouTube Gaming. And now this for, for this coming season, well, like like I said, it's already started with Dota two, but for this upcoming season of um, ESL Pro League, um, starting I think Feb- I can't remember the ex- exact I don't date know either. Coming up in February, uh, it's yeah all going to be uh, Facebook Watch. And yeah, I don't know how. I feel I'm about interested that. to see the conversion though. Everybody that is used to watching on YouTube or Twitch is upset, of course. Yeah, because they're that's their homeland. But if it goes over to Facebook, there's a whole different market. There is. If they so expand we just on that, no, they yeah they could pick up the slack. I don't know though. From what I've heard, the first few. Um, First few games that were aired on uh, Facebook Watch showed like an eighty percent drop in in viewer numbers, which is obviously like. What do you mean, like they s- compared to what they were getting um, from you know Twitch and you, even YouTube Gaming? Oh, okay, yeah. Like they they lost like eighty percent of their of their viewership, wow. and that's huge. Yeah. If that, I mean, obviously, I expect you should expect that to to rise as more people. Exactly. Yeah, never knew about it, find out about it because of Facebook Watch, but still like that. Which is why it's like ex- unexplored territory. You still right. don't know long term mm-hmm. what the numbers are going to be. Wait, so Facebook lost 80% of the people? No, no, no. no. The, 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 like Twitch ESL, okay. who organizes these gaming tournaments. They for, lost 80%. Right. Yeah. They, they, have, they have seasons yeah. like for these tournaments, right? right. <clears throat> and um, for Counter-Strike, the upcoming one is ESL Pro League. It's like a, a, a season of tournaments. and those get streamed. Like they used to be streamed, like most things still are, to Twitch. And then ESL signed a deal for last season with YouTube Gaming, which started off obviously not as well as Twitch. I don't even know that it did as well as Twitch by the no, end of it. Of course, it, it didn't. Didn't. Um, but it was still like, it was still you know like reasonable. I guess it was still like people from that are used to watching on Twitch did eventually right. finally yeah. work over they, to They didn't mind doing it. They but, still wanted to see the matches. But now that it's going to Facebook watch, it's like, don't know if people, mo- a lot in. of people won't do it. Like they they gave in eventually and started watching on YouTube gaming, but 
Yeah. I don't think that'll be the case for Facebook. So, yeah, for the people that aren't really understanding what we're talking about, we're not going to stay on the subject too long. But um, I did see where, I think last year, G2, like, streamed all the time on Facebook. Hmm. So I bet that they're one of the ones that is used to doing that yeah. on Facebook. And they've already owned that platform for a good bit of their audience. Yeah, I'm not sure. I actually didn't hear, even hear about that, but it's okay. interesting. Yeah, I've seen um, their their streams over there. But, um, yeah, for the most part, it's Twitch and YouTube. But it'd be interesting, it, interesting to see how Facebook handles paying content creators. The, yeah, that's... That's a whole... That's a very good point. Ordeal. I mean, if there's one thing you can reasonably assume of Facebook, it's that they are going to like really do whatever they can to make Facebook watch like a, a real thing. Yeah. Uh, they're going to put every ounce of the resources that they can into it yeah. because I mean, they're already paying like the payout that they had to, to give to these companies to like exclu- exclusively stream to Facebook watch mm-hmm. had to be insane because, and, and it's the, top dollar people that are already exactly. known. Yeah, you can't like, have like just nobodies and pay exactly. them a lot of money. And and they know f- like fully well like going into it that they're going to lose viewers, you know. So like they yeah. they have to be compensated like just an insane amount. Exactly. So yeah. It'll be interesting to see what comes of it. But Facebook is Facebook. Right. So yeah. they're going to figure out a way to do something right. Yeah, and see what I what I've heard um is that when you comment on these like live streams on Facebook watch that your comments show up in other people's news feeds. And so one of the funny thing is funny things is like all the kids that go on the, the Twitch streams and meme <laughs> and say like really explicit things in, yeah. in chat, like they're not going to go do that on Facebook. Cause then right. you know, mom's going to come in, Billy, what in the hell did you just say on the, you yeah. know, Twitch, on the Facebook stream? Just a whole bunch of 12 year olds. <laughs> spamming. So, come on, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, uh, so. That is not, I'm not even going to say that. Um, so you're 15, you start recording. Right. Not right now. <laughs> no, he's when he started recording. He's 22. Yeah, yeah. He was 15 when he started. Yeah. When did you join, is, was Revelations your first real band? Yeah, first real band where we actually like played a gig, had yeah. a Took full, seriously. had a full like band, you know, two guitarists, bass player, drummer, and vocalist or even if it was like one guitarist i never had a complete band before then it was always just some friends getting together and jamming but that was definitely the very first like full band that actually played shows and it didn't last for too long but um it was obviously nothing too special um but it was fun for sure um just finally getting the chance to play music and play a show so that was definitely fun and it was in a time where the the scene was thriving around here as well so like having bands to uh, look up to or to play with that I really enjoyed listening to was also really cool. So um, that definitely kind of kept me going for the future and, and working with music and writing music and things like that. I'm sure that introduced you to the people that I guess your clientele would be. <laughs> I mean, yeah, um, it wasn't really until my second band. Uh, with no remorse came along that that really started kind of helping out i mean through that band i made uh, a lot of friends and places like memphis and other nearby areas um and that did help me a lot with um, the earlier days like getting bands that 
aren't just local to Jackson to, to come and record. Um, so yeah, that really helped. Uh, and just getting, you know, like nearby areas, like two or three hours out of the way to come and record. So, I mean, without that, it would probably have been a lot more work to, you know, get, get started in all of it and get work to actually better myself as an engineer. So you started with just the pod. Yeah, just the the UX one. And Were you doing GarageBand drums or no, like I was, Pro Tools? I uh, I was I, my DAW I've always used is Cubase, but um, for programming drums, like the very first thing I ever did, I would program them in Fruity Loops, and oh, yeah. I I I did that only because I had watched <laughs> um, Chase Gaddis do that when he recorded yeah. uh, Re- Revelations when I was still in Revelations. He recorded. All of our stuff for fifty dollars out of the advocate apartment. Yep, that was uh, those were the days. But I remember uh, time I, to be alone. I eventually just I had seen him do it so many times that I just started clicking buttons in Fruity Loop Fruity Loops one day and eventually figured it out. And I think he even gave me the drum samples that he used, which were just you know your your basic sounding, nothing great, yeah. just kick, snare, toms, and a few cymbals. True drum sounds, right? That's it. And and I just started programming th- things out in uh, Fruity Loops, and then I would just export that down into an audio file and start recording drum or guitars on top of that. Yeah, and that's what I did for the first several bands. I'm not really sure how many, but uh, yeah, they fully knew they were not going to be tracking real drums. It was just clicking buttons until we finally pieced it together, and then I could record guitars on top of that. And then through that same little interface, since it had a mic input, I could record vocals. So it was. The full package was there as far as like final mix comes, you know, like you had every instrument there. Like I could do it just sounded awful, but that was definitely the beginning. That's how pretty loose is. It's fun to play around on. Yeah. Especially like creating ideas and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like EDM or, you know, just like electronic. Yeah. People in that, in those genres that actually use Fruity Loops as their main, uh, workstation yeah. or workspace and which I don't understand do a really good play, really play was like the first yeah they did all that I had ever had with like Fruity Loops yeah and the, I downloaded it and didn't know what the hell I was I think at. it came like free on the old Windows machines I don't know but I remember playing around in like middle school with it just like creating some bullshit on <laughs> it was it, it sounded so bad but it was fun to click around and actually make some stuff yeah um and yeah, there are a lot of EDM and hip hop people that still do that, but a lot of EDM people also do Ableton Live. Yeah, that's that's definitely the that's like the one. main yeah. thing people move up to. Mm-hmm. I think hip hop's the same way. Almost. Yeah, I mean, Fruity Loops provides enough. If you're a good engineer and you have a good ear for mixing, uh, it provides enough for you to be able to produce something really solid. Yeah, it's just Ableton Live, like you know, is like the big the big name for that for that kind of stuff. It's it does provide more. It's a little bit easier to work around, I guess. I mean, I don't really, I don't really have much experience at all with that kind of uh, music or writing that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and actually, I don't really have any experience in Ableton at all. Oh really? Uh, I've had, I can't, I don't, I don't even remember what product it was, but a long time ago, I purchased something that came with a light version of Ableton. Yeah. 
And I remember installing it and opening it up. And I think this was around the time that I was programming things with Fruity Loops. So like I didn't really have much experience with anything at all yeah. as far as that goes at that point in time. But I remember opening it up and it just looking like I was oh, in a space crazy. shuttle. And I was like, yeah. I'd closed it and just never touched it again. Especially there's some high-end like plugins that you can get for it. Mm-hmm. Those are just like, it literally looks like an, a huge uh, old-timey synth. Like yeah. huge console, mm-hmm. it's like I just click out. I don't know what to do. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, me whenever I get in like Photoshop. <laughs> yeah, I'm like oh, I don't yeah, know that's what, I'm what a lot of people say about Photoshop and all the Adobe stuff. Yeah, when it, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I know just enough to like do what I want to do pretty poorly. Mm-hmm. But it normally results or in me going to Google and like. uh searching something up and then doing a yeah. terrible job well, that way here's a big insider secret so do the pros they, <laughs> they just go to google and look up right. whatever they need to it's look like, up too so yeah I, I pretty much do everything in like the worst way slowest way possible when it comes to photoshop stuff, type stuff so were you charging these bands at first or were you just doing it for yeah uh, i mean I can't recall actually if I, I don't think I ever did anything for for free. Uh I remember uh the first first few bands I did were actually with my old drummer Michael Sheffield. We had a little thing together. We would and it was like a mobile studio. We didn't have anywhere that we would record. We would go to people with our laptop and just a few pieces of gear enough to do the job just barely. And I think we charged 50 bucks a song and we split it between us. So we were hoping pretty much every job we did yeah. that people were going to have more than one song so we didn't walk out with 25 bucks. Um, but, I mean, that's that's like, I mean, that's that's way less than minimum wage when you account for that number of hours you work. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, we we were just charging that to have something out of it, but the main point behind it, I guess, was just getting material to work with, you know, like can't really practice that well unless you are recording something, you know, unless, or yeah. unless you do it yourself, which is only so much of that you can do. Um, and that's still not really going to give you the experience of working with different bands, you know, like, you know, your play style the best and play style for a lot of instruments is absolute, absolutely like key to getting a good tone. Like a, a slappy guitarist doesn't matter how much gear you've got or, how good your gear is, it's not going to sound good if they can't play their instrument well, you know? Yep. So it's like, if you're a sloppy guitarist and all, you got, all you're going to do is, is record yourself to try to practice, well then, you know, you're not going to be very well suited when it comes to someone that may be better than you or vice versa. Would you say that kind of mindset carries over to singers? Because I think every, the general public thinks that because of all the new music now that you don't really have to know how to sing perfectly. <laughs> well, you know, it's that same mindset except guitar, right? Tone and um, skill. Honestly, these days, there, well, there's one really big thing, uh, like to distinguish when it comes to vocals in the studio, and that is auto tune and pitch correction. Yeah, they are very, very different. Yes. Uh, so, obviously, I'm pretty sure everybody everybody would know what auto tune is. T-Pain. I mean, yeah, there you go. T Pain. It's kind of the cliche he can thing sing to say. Without it, but, oh yeah, oh yeah. He's yeah, he's a great Definitely. vocalist. He's a great vocalist. That's just the the style that he's kind of known for. Yeah. Uh, and it's the and easiest for you thing. Younger folks, future. 
little, little yachty. <laughs> no, no, but Future is like the new T-Pain and the and the fact that he uses auto-tune just overlapped on his voice. Yes. Titty boy. Yeah, so, you, stop talking about yourself, Caleb. <laughs> that was Future. <laughs> future, no, I'm thinking of 2 chains. Sorry. Yeah, maybe so. God, I just sound like an idiot. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... That that's the easiest thing to to ref to reference when you're talking about auto tune is like T pain. Everybody kind of knows what it means. Yeah. But when it comes to pitch correction, it's basically like graph tuning, right? So you take the vocal, and uh, it'll it'll separate every note that they have sang in the performance, and you can bump it up or down into a grid, which it's it's like a piano roll. It shows you each note, shows you how off they were, and you can just kind of touch it up or down. And do so very naturally in a way that you can't really, you can't tell. I mean, you can, of course, go to extremes with the same process and make it right. sound auto-tune. The, but, yeah, the, the differential difference, blah. the differences in the two is, like you said, if it's a piano roll and you have all the notes on like a grid right. set up, if the singer still slides up, like a half note, mm-hmm. you can just you'll bump still it down. hear that slide up. Yeah. Whereas in auto tune, it would it automatically would, reset right. that pitch. It would just, it would just absolutely yank it up or yank it down into where it needs to be. Right. And the speed would be a lot faster, and that's what creates that, that auto tune effect. Mm-hmm. But with all of that said, pitch correction only goes so far until it does start sounding like auto tune. Yeah. So any any good sounding vocal performance. They were at least pretty close. Like, if it doesn't sound auto tune, <laughs> mm-hmm. they were at least pretty close. And it's usually safe to say that they're at worst a decent vocalist. So you definitely, you, you definitely have to be able to sing to some extent, right? Or it's going to show that you were all either you either going to sound auto tuned or it's just going to sound bad. But um, I mean, pitch correction has come a very long way, and especially when used right, you can never tell. And I can even go as far as to say, like. Pretty much every mainstream record you can think of has some amount of pitch correction. Like, there's very oh, yeah. few records out there that are truly just raw, untouched as far as any kind of pitch correction goes. Yeah, it's pretty much just standard at this point. How much depends on the obviously the engineer and what the band wants, but almost everything has some amount to some extent. Right, for the good and for the worse. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, because I mean. The the number of people out there that enjoy having like very organic, raw sounding records where they can, you know, like hear the emotion better, you know, whatever whatever they listen for out of it. Yeah. Is is shrinking in, in in like the modern like digital industry. People a lot of people these days want to hear something perfect, something larger than life, something, you know, like just over the top that they can really get into. But and of course there's there's still the people that want to hear more raw something that they can feel better hear more emotion behind it but like i said i mean it's just more people are wanting to hear that perfect sounding thing so it's like why you're kind of holding yourself back depending on what you want out of your band or out of your music if you don't do it would you say that's because is is there a lot more younger artists that are all about they want to sound bigger than they are i think that might have something to do with it yeah i mean it's definitely the people um, wanting to hear like the more perfect sounding mixes and productions are probably the younger generation. I would yeah. say. I mean, I know uh, older my, generation loves the yeah the exactly. raw stuff. Yeah, so my uh, my dad is in a band, uh, and yeah, you know, he would not want 
anything like perfect like that at all. He wants, you know, he, he, he doesn't understand it. Right. So right. it's definitely in like the younger generation, but that's kind of what everything is turning to. Like by the time we're old, uh, things will all probably be like that. Like yeah. the days of um, going into a studio and seeing a huge console just stretched out across the room are kind of coming to an end. Like you definitely, I mean, there's big names, Andrew Shep's done like Adele and several other big names. He's a hundred percent in the box now, which means everything he does is digital. All, right. He's all right. using, using all plugins. He, he has very little hardware gear that he actually uses anymore. He's gotten rid of his consoles and everything else. Yep. And that, that's pretty awesome to me to see because uh, there's still a lot of people that are hard headed and, and kind of stuck in their ways and refuse to believe that software and plugins have come as far as they have. Yeah. And, but I mean, it, times are changing. And I can understand like wanting to hold on to those things. But yeah, yeah. If, if I was just for like and, history's sake, but had man, spent millions the, on on gear that I'd probably want to hold on to. Exactly, well. exactly. But at the same time, you, you need to test out the new stuff and see oh, yeah. what it is. Absolutely. So you're more of a software guy. I than mixing uh, or mixer, like. Well, as far as like hardware gear, hardware, you do, yeah. I, I'm definitely more of a software guy and like in terms of the ratio of things I have is better than software in the box to like my actual hardware gear. But I, I do like hardware gear. Uh, I like hardware compressors for tracking things on the way in, like compressing things on the way in, I should say. Um, obviously preamps, that's kind of not, that's not really something that you can uh, have as well in the box because like for certain things you might want to clip on the way in like a snare drum, um, really saturate it that way. Uh, and you can't do anything on the way in, really, if you're just using a plug-in on a track. Yeah. So there are things that I definitely um, prefer to have plug-in or hardware stuff on over plugins. But as far as like the majority goes, yeah, definitely software in the box plugins. So you do this pretty much full time now. Pretty much, yeah. How many bands are you or like? When did it start becoming kind of like full time for you? Um, was it like an a jump? Like you just honestly, like took a risk and said, "All right, I'm doing this full time." Or was it like you kind of bled into it? Uh, definitely the latter. Kind of okay. just bled into it. Um, there have been so many periods of time where I just didn't get much work at all, and it was difficult. Like I wasn't making obviously wasn't making very much money. Yeah. Um, and in those times, I just kind of did have to uh, either like record things myself, like record covers of songs, and try you know maybe try getting it as close to the original as I can just for practice, or doing my own take of it, or downloading uh, raw stems from multi-track sessions that were released. There's not many, but you can come across some from time to time, and you know mix those for practice. But it. This kind of job is until you're like really big, you know, it's, it's really inconsistent as far as work goes. And it kind of, yeah, I, I guess it goes so. almost with this, the times of the year, you know, like in the summers, it's a lot better. Even in the winters, it's a lot better. I guess you have, you know, Thanksgiving break, Christmas break, holidays yeah. where everyone, not just if you're in school is out, you know? Right. Um, and that, so those are probably the more busy times of the year, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just kind of inconsistent at times, but I, I would say about a year ago is when I really started uh, 
putting more effort into like advertisement and getting getting more bands for mixing and mastering work where they just track elsewhere and send the material to me to mix and master. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the one thing over the past year or two that I've been trying to get, to get more of because that is that that's work I can do on the side while working on a band that's coming in to track all of their stuff here. Right. So you're doubling up. Right. Money. Yeah. And, 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 and it's quicker jobs, you know, because a lot of the work of tracking an album or an EP or even just a single song with a band that comes here is literally just tracking everything. You know, right. like, that probably takes or it does take longer doing that than just mixing it and finishing it up. Definitely. So, yeah, um, getting in more mix and master work has definitely helped a lot. Good, good. Uh, do you do like any live events? Uh, uh, not so are much. You trying to? Is that um, something you you want to start mixing into your workflow? Or are, so, are you meaning like live sound for shows or yeah. live recording? Live sound for shows. Yeah, I, but I, I honestly, guess live recording as well. well. We can go into that after. Yeah. So for live sound, I, I honestly haven't really done much with that since uh, the Carter days, big sleepy days for the Caleb here. When yeah. He used to used to be the man running all the shows in Jackson. Well, at least for the you know hardcore metal scene. Yeah. Um, and I, I helped out with that, and I enjoyed it. Um, that was really the the extent of my live sound mm-hmm. uh, jobs, I guess if you want to call it that. Um, but it was fun. I haven't done too much of that since. As far as live recordings go, that's something I've actually never done. Um, and that's kind of like, that's a whole new beast, really. Like you, It is, yeah. You've, you've got to have a setup for it. And I I'd more or less do. It would take some take some changes to get it to work. Yeah. You know, the, the way it needs to work uh, without just sounding like it was thrown together. There are, there are live recordings um, that bands do that, probably would never be able to tell we're actually live recordings right that sound great but the people that do those do them probably pretty often you know they have a, a setup for that yeah uh, and that's like you know you've got so many so many things going to account with that like everything going at once you've got to isolate things well enough of course got to have enough mics and inputs for all of that yeah all at the same time i mean to use. I, I would say the minimum for something like that like bare minimum would probably be 16 tracks at once because you've got a drum set, which typically like if you're going to have room mics and a whole nine yards, you're going to have probably 10 to 16 mics on the drum kit alone. Right. You know, and then if you've got two guitarists, that's two more mics for the cab at, at the least and mic on the bass, you know, so it, it goes on and on. So you, you really got to have the stuff for it. Yeah. And the layout here is just not really yeah. I mean, right I, for I, it. I but... could probably squeeze everything into the live room here. Yeah. It could be done. Uh, I'm just not sure that it's something I would want to do yeah. without a much nicer live room, a bigger live room, you know, and exactly. all that. It would be a challenge, but it, it would be fun to do at least once. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it sounded good or not. It, it just would, to see yeah. if it is possible. Well, just close in the deck out there and bust <laughs> on that wall. Yeah, yeah, make another room out of the deck. Yeah, that actually. I was in a band that did a live recording, and it was it was a lot faster. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, we knocked out six songs in a day. <laughs> yeah, like, that's yeah. that's absolutely unheard of when it if you're uh you know tracking everything one at a time. Yeah, that's how my old band did it. We we did live recording for that one of our earliest songs. Was that uh I Hear the Enemy or after Yeah, that? it was I Hear the Enemy. No, it was before that. It was Deny I'm This. Same thing. Well yeah, <laughs> but different I, name. 
I was playing keyboard. <laughs> that's the difference. Oh, that's right. Um, was Trace doing vocals back then? No, it was after Trace. It was either Trace or Jordan. Oh, yeah. I can't remember when in the timeline we recorded. But we did live recording. And because I was on keyboard, I was in the actual booth. Now I was in the, the like right in front of the computers with the guy mixing. So we were sitting there together and I couldn't hear a single thing I was playing because it was a synth. And so like it goes straight into the computer. And like if I didn't have the headphones on, I couldn't hear. But I needed to hear all of them playing. So it was weird yeah. for me, especially all of them. They could hear everything. So was they were fine. Misha Hercules. Yeah. Is he the one who yeah, did I think that? it was yeah. Misha. Um, and it was, it was weird, but it was a great setup that they had wherever that was. I can't even remember where that was, but, um, it was, it was fun, but it definitely is totally different than recording separate tracks, separate, separate parts. Uh, it's not as controlled. And if you don't get it perfectly and at the same take as everybody else in the band, you've got to redo it. Or you can go back and then start recording separately at that point, which mm-hmm. then why are you live recording if you're right. not actually yeah. going to live record? Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it was fun though. I got to try both spectrums. So it's a little different for sure. But, uh, for the actual live sound, is that something you want to go more into eventually? Or you want to kind of just stay where you're at? Uh, I mean, recording. I definitely want to keep the main thing to studio stuff, you know, working with bands, but uh, I definitely wouldn't mind doing some more live sound stuff. Um, I mean, it's, it's still interesting to me. I still enjoy doing it. It it is, they are two different beasts. Yeah. Um, very, very much different in a lot of ways. Um, but I mean, it's still music to me. It's still like working with bands to an extent. And, I, it, pretty much any kind of work as far as that goes is right up my alley so yeah i yeah. i loved the times when i did it um there just hasn't been as many opportunities for that kind of thing right especially in the area right but i mean hey, if someone that kind of music that you're used to working with we right. don't really have the space to do that that much anymore yeah but i mean if, if someone called me up tomorrow and said hey come can you come run sound for this show in a few weeks? You know, if I could do it, I'd probably say yes. Like if if yeah. my my wow. schedule permitted, you know, yeah. like, I would yeah definitely enjoy doing that. You were the only like person proficient in sound that I felt got it. Like there have been people who have like gone to school for live sound production, and I felt like they still didn't know their way around. A powered mixer, yeah, at like a punk show, yeah. and you know, like, well, that's with you. I never had that problem. I mean, I know it's total like total differences. You talk about the people that go to school for it and the people that don't. Yeah, I mean, I know. there, there's definitely total differences in yeah. learning the trade and craft mm-hmm. on their own versus learning it from someone else. And it's great to always have like a mentor, somebody to ask questions and get answers, but that I know exactly what you're talking about because if you go to a live setting and there it's nothing but brick walls like uh 
your place was, Oof. Big Sleepies was. That's so hard to work around. Yeah. And it's totally different sound than being in a controlled environment like this with like sound pads everywhere mm. and setting up for that. So like learning the trade in real time is like well, I feel like so they huge. are better at like the fine tuning things. Yeah. But when it came down to like troubleshooting why one side of your setup is not coming out the way it's supposed to, it was like, yeah, just get out of my way. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about sound, but I know trial and error. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've worked this system so many times. Exactly. And that's another piece of what I'm talking about is like you had someone step in for you when you were getting taught how to do this. Whereas at live shows, when you, if you did it all yourself, you've come across this error before so many times and you've had to fix it yourself. So you know what you're going to do with the sound guy standing there going like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> with someone else but hovering Eric, over your shoulder <laughs> with Eric, I felt like he, he got it. Yeah. And so it was like the best of both worlds. The beast. Until the, the uh, until that, that show where, um, your speakers caught on fire. Yeah, that band caught my speakers on fire. What? Yes, and they Sovereign weren't my speakers. Strength. No. They're your dad's. They're my dad's. It was that metal band that kept trying to run their triggers through. It wasn't Sovereign. It was uh, your memorial. Yeah. It was that show, though. It was. And I had, like, almost like the flu. I did. Was this at the Carter or Big Sleepy? This was at the Carter, but it was, it was at the time when the Carter was being, the shows that were being done in that small, like, back room. Yeah. Not not the first Carter, the second Carter. Yeah, uh, that little remember. like, you know, little square. It's little where eventually the band started putting their equipment. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Behind the oldest stage from you know before the second Carter closed its doors, right? Right. And uh, it was in that room, and these were old monitors as it was. Um, I, don't, I don't even remember what kind of monitor. They're like old. Yeah, actually, I don't even think they were like intended to be, uh, like mains or side fills or, or at all i think they were actually literally stage monitors put up on a stand oh <laughs> but uh yeah i think Crap. i think i could be wrong they could have been they could have been mains but if they were they were tiny mains. i don't think they were main i don't know <laughs> yeah they were i think they were honestly just stage monitors on a stand but uh Typical regardless young kid they ran this, you know? <laughs> regardless the, the band knew what it could handle and what it couldn't and they pushed that shit so hard. They ran it triggers through it, and we we're like, "You can't do well, that." It, it wasn't like, even it, the triggers were bad because the the woofers were just absolutely just shot. Yeah, they, they were, were flying back and forth. I mean, probably a good three or four inches, like just pounding back and forth. But it was the it was all their backtracks too, and vocals. Yeah. I mean, they were the they were the only two speakers we had at the show. Everything was going through. They had kick triggers they had their backtracks you know the bunch of um a bunch of synth stuff too i think or just effects or whatever bass yeah. drops they were hitting bass drops through their 808s oh through there so when that i'm when actually that, surprised it took us that long for something like that to happen <laughs> oh, they like i mean it literally went up in smoke yeah we had to like run over there and unplug it and take it outside or, or at least away from everyone Jeez. but considering that that building literally ran on two plugs yeah. Like we ran full band sets, PA, everything. All We've even night run, for many shows. Never had a problem with electricity. 
Yeah, on which is two crazy. Plugs, ran extension cords out the wazoo. I can I can probably name like five venues here in Jackson that should have burned to the ground because of like electricity problems that <laughs> we Eric, should have now Eric encountered. Can just come and do them. <laughs> yeah, right. Since he did his yeah. own here and grounded it. That was scary. You know? That was yeah. scary. <laughs> it's Jeez. simpler times. Yeah, I know. I know. So but now we're here, so that's that's good. Are you you were in school for software stuff? Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, I'm working on finishing my bachelor's right now in computer science. So that's something I do on the side. A lot of programming, uh, a lot of desktop applications, a little bit of web development. That's not really my forte, so to speak. Uh, Nor do you want to do that? Do just what? saying. There's so much upkeep to web development. Oh yeah, it's like, so um, crazy. So don't. Yeah, there's uh, there's a big project that I'm been working on for a while now. Um, for actually my subreddit that I'm a mod on, uh, our mod teams back in like web panel, all yeah. done with uh, the Laravel framework PHP. Yeah, uh, it's a popular MVC uh, like architectural pattern, uh, and it's I mean I I kind of enjoy working with it, but it's like I don't know my my thing is just writing code that either compiles to machine code itself or at least to an interpreter, like writing desktop applications or uh, as far like maybe working on backends uh, as long as it's not too much web development. I think yeah. the reason that I'm not as fond of like the web development side of things is because of my lack of like the creative side like that. Like we're going back to that Photoshop conversation we had earlier. Yeah. It's like, I don't know shit about Photoshop because I have no creative side. If you asked me to well, make you there. a logo for something or for anything, it could be something that I love more than anything else in the world. It would look like it, you could do a better job with the pen tool and paint right. than whatever I ended up coming up with. I just, I, my mind does not work that way for like yeah. graphics um, or design. So like, I, yeah. like uh, for, for a lot of programs that I've done, like desktop apps, even if it's just something for myself, I've still had to actually des- design the GUI and like the, the main window and interface. And it's like when I end up having to do that, I just literally throw some buttons on there and a couple yeah. labels to name them. And, and that's that's how a lot of programmers ugly. that yeah. just want to program. And that's exactly yeah. that's me. Me being a front end designer and like I want everything beautiful and functional. Yes. It kills me. It but should abso- I understand absolutely why. be split up because if I was ever in charge of, even like, I know how to write markup language and and style sheets. Yeah. But like, if you gave me something to to write it, like if you even just had somebody deliver something to me that like a Photoshop, my um design of of what it should look like, I could put it together. But if you told me to design it, it would literally look like. Yeah. It wouldn't look yeah. like anything. I'd probably just, just write some HTML and, and center you're... it on the page. <laughs> right. And that would probably be it. Like I just <laughs> I can't do it. I just can't design. So, I can't draw. But So is that what you want to do rather than record for Oh, that's still something I'm even trying to figure out. I mean the thing about the audio industry or the audio engineering industry is that there are so so many really really solid engineers and uh, yeah people you know that even just only that mix you know, there's so many people that are really solid out there that produce things every bit <laughs> as as solid as some of the biggest names you can think of but right are no names either because they just 
haven't worked with big enough bands yet. They haven't had that one, you know, like knockout band or, or because they just don't have the connections. So that is absolutely massive, massively important. And being like super successful is having those connections and just getting that kind of work. And there's so many people that, um, have what it takes that just don't ever end up getting there. And, um, it's, it's, it's something you have to like, you have to think about, you know, like that's kind of the reality of it. You can't just expect that anything great is going to happen. You know, just don't really expect anything. Uh, so it's like, I've been thinking about ways that I could kind of do, get the best of both worlds. And one of those things would be uh, like DSPs, digital signal processing and de- developing audio plugins, which yeah. is something I started working with. I have a, um, a MIDI bass instrument called Colossal Bass that I uh, sell. I, we've got two versions, one with a Warwick Corvette five string and another with a Ernie Ball Music Man Stingray. And those are basically virtual bass guitars so that you can open up a MIDI track in your DAW <clears throat> and start programming out bass. And it sounds more or less like the real thing, especially when it's in the mix. You, you take it out of the mix, you can kind of tell that it's a fake bass. But yeah. in the mix, it works very well. And uh, so, you know that's kind of gotten my feet wet. And just from just from uh, having programmed things for a while now, it's it's kind of it's easier for me to uh, step into than it would be like if I had no idea what I was doing at all, never programmed before. So it's like I can understand it. Yeah, uh, it's not something I have too much experience in yet, as like specifically DSP and audio plugins. But I understand the concepts, um, and that's very interesting to me. That's uh, something I've been working more towards. And it, it could be a very pos- a very good possibility for me in the future is like working somewhere that develops these plugins because that would keep me in the audio engineering world of things. Exactly. I would I would be just making things that audio engineers use in their productions. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be really cool. That's exactly what I was thinking of is immediately when you said you're getting your bachelor's still in coding right. and stuff. Yeah. Is I mean that's that alone is that makes total sense. Being yeah. an audio engineer guy wanting to make audio engineer software that makes that's perfect that, <laughs> so that's definitely uh something i really have my sights on mm-hmm. on uh for the future if you know like i said if um studio stuff doesn't necessarily work out i'm still going to be pushing the studio and doing that stuff for probably the next several years yeah um so you know there's no telling what may happen but um that's yeah that's if i was if I was told tomorrow that I couldn't do that, that would probably be my next, my next uh, thing to pursue is audio plugin development. So what, I mean, like, where are the bands from that you're working with now? Yeah. Right now, um, oddly enough, most of the bands that I've had for the past few months are, have been coming from Louisiana. Right now, I've got um, two albums, uh, actually three albums in, in the works. One, uh, a band called Inside Voices. They're from Vicksburg and I think it's West Monroe. Uh, kind of split between those. Another band, um, Ventress. They're a hard rock metal band from, uh, I want to say, you know, I'm not sure. I don't want to say the wrong thing. They're from Louisiana. Uh, and then another band called Surroundings from Australia that's actually sending me the the tracks for that so that's a mix and mastering gig some good friends of mine i've known for uh several years <laughs> actually met them um through the youtube covers that i used to do um 
Oh, that's awesome. But <laughs> we were talking about that. That's, that's why you should keep doing them. Working, <laughs> yeah, working on uh, those three albums. Uh, actually, no, I'm leaving another one out. Uh, the Hero and a Monster is a local band. Tyler Holden, uh, we're working on that album as well. Um, so that's four albums. And then got another, another EP, a couple singles going on at the moment as well. But uh, it's been pretty busy lately, for sure. But you have stepped outside of the box of just doing metal and hardcore bands, and now you do well, all kinds of different bands. I, yeah, I mean, my my main, my main, I guess, sort of niche is going to be metal. You know, like, that's, right. that's what I do the most. That's what I feel I'm best at. But over the past year, year, year or two, really, uh, I have definitely been doing a lot of other stuff, you know, mainly, mainly rock or indie rock or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there have been, there have been even things not at all like that. I've done a, this was shoot probably two and a half, three years ago now, but, uh, recorded a country band or a guy named Zach Bridges from around here. That was really fun because as much of a metalhead as I am, like when I'm not working with metal bands, like if I'm just in the car or something, I'm probably listening to country. Alan Jackson, you know, I that is crazy. I hate <laughs> from being like a metalhead. Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. People joke with me all the time <laughs> about whether or not listening to metal for so long has like fucked with my head to the point of listening to country. But well, that's true it. for like, some I, people because I actually know people that yeah, it, it, yeah. that's actually the truth. But you mentioning Alan Jackson, I can tell that you grew up listening to country, though. Oh. Um, Somewhat, it wasn't. It yeah, definitely, definitely yeah. Uh, it wasn't like, it isn't super huge in my like immediate family. My dad's band does play some country covers, um, like Merle Haggard and that kind of thing. Yeah, um, old school, right? Uh, but I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't centered around it really. Okay, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't like taboo by any means with the way yeah. I grew up. I mean, I went to MRA, and. Oh, okay. everyone I'm there <laughs> everyone there was you know either madison or gluckstad and pretty yeah. pretty southern you know um, yeah so i couldn't avoid it going there and it was even back then in middle school high school i hated country but right. I, but looking back a lot of me a lot a big part of me wants to think that maybe it was just because i didn't think i should like it I didn't yeah. want to like it. Yeah. But, you because know. Because the people that did like it, you like, <laughs> didn't want to be associated yeah. with Yeah, or, or I just thought it That's was the, the thing to hate country because especially yeah. being in a metal band, like, I'm supposed to hate country. But, I mean, I would say a year or so after graduate, or maybe even in my senior, like the tail end of my senior year, hearing a few country songs that I wouldn't dare have admitted it, but I really thought were catchy. So oh, I would yeah. just, I would, on my own, just kind of listen to them see what I thought about them. And then eventually it was like, I actually love country. So <laughs> yeah. I, I actually don't get upset when this comes on. <laughs> exactly. So. I mean, well, I, I started out liking a lot of the, uh, a lot of the country that comes on the radio, but these days, like, and I think it's also that it's, it's even more poppy now than it used to be. But yeah, when I was sure. starting to get into it, which was only, you know, four or five years ago, um, if that, but, Nowadays, it's like, man, they should really just start calling it pop country. A lot of the songs that I hear on the radio. And I, just, I think it could actually become that genre. I, I honestly hope it does. because yeah. I want it to separate from like the, the yeah, early like, 2000s, 90s country. That's yeah. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, a staple country era. Yeah, and honestly, there are some songs that I don't like because they're still called country. That if it were just literally called pop country, I may listen to it as pop country. Right. But the right. fact that you it's can called accept country, it, then yeah. <laughs> the fact that it's called pop or country and not pop country is just like I can't let myself listen to it sometimes. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, as far as that goes, there's only a few songs that really reach that extreme. Yeah. Where I just won't listen to it because it's called country. Yeah. I mean, there's others that I won't listen to just because I don't like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's but that's how I grew up is, I mean, my parents were all about 70s rock, yeah, 80s rock, 80s metal, and the, the country thing was, I was just like you in high school. I was like, all right, that stuff is really annoying. <laughs> yeah. And it might be because the people that listen to it are really annoying. <laughs> but... Um, but now I'm like, I kind of accept it more mm-hmm. and it is a true art genre. I mean, I, I like it. I respect it, especially the eras I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, like my wife, she grew up listening mm-hmm. all the time. Any chance she gets when I'm in the car, she's turning it to country because she wants me to learn the artist. She wants me to experience it. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> not again. But your parents are like the biggest Jimmy Buffett fans. I've ever met. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, they're Jimmy. But see, like, Can Jimmy that's Buffett. a different genre. And it's Jimmy Buffett is his own genre. <laughs> He's like yeah, island country fusion. And that's like super. <laughs> that sounds super stupid to say. But uh, one of the, the people that know who Jimmy Buffett is, they know exactly what I'm talking about. He does things with Alan Jackson all the time because that's mm-hmm. like his huge friend. And the people that actually record him and write with him are country artists and country production studios but um yeah and they're total parrot what is it uh parrot heads i don't know yeah it's parrot heads. but um like it was in college where like i started going to like bars and stuff and they would play country music and i would be the only person that sits there and rolls their eyes at like why the hell are they playing the song? We're so typically Southern right now. <laughs> but I mean, by my senior year in college, I'm like, oh, I've accepted it. And I've like started singing along and I'm like, I, I leave the place. And I'm like, why did I do that? It's I'm not still that not accepting of it, but it's, it's honestly opened it's my dreadful. eyes to that whole like style of, of music or specifically like guitar playing. Like one of my favorite guitarists, arguably like one of the best guitarists, in the world right now, as for especially for this style of music, Brad Paisley. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's beautiful, phenomenal guitar player. And you know, six, seven years ago, when I was still like in that mindset, oh, I should hate country because I play metal. I would have never even given it a chance to like to to recognize that and see how unbelievably talented he is. And yeah, there are. I mean, there's other country artists that are also just as talented or close. Yeah, there. It's it's people like him. Man, uh, I could Blake watch Shelton for hours. Keith Urban, they have those signature country tones yeah. that in the industry you can recognize immediately. Whiskey Lullaby is the saddest song I've ever heard. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. I think I like country music because I like sad music. Or maybe it's like Well, yeah. Maybe I, I mean, like that's sad why I music like because I like country. Folk music too. I mean, it's like the sad songs are like that's the stuff you like. <laughs> My dad had like 70s classic 60s classic rock and then like George Jones. Mm-hmm. And so like 
that was the tape. And then like Neil Young, but he's not really country, he's like folk, so Yeah. And he's one of those like fusion signature sounds as well. But that brings up another point is like I didn't really like I don't I'm not totally in love with country, even though my wife wants me to be. It's I fell in love in college with like bluegrass. Like, yeah. That stuff. No, I don't like bluegrass. there's there's so many people that are like instantly like that is the grossest stuff ever. But like I wouldn't say it's the grossest stuff. I know. Ever. Well, a lot of people react immediately like that. But I just don't like bluegrass. Yeah. Well, I, I don't I don't, the, I don't particularly the timbre. sit there and just listen to bluegrass. But when a solid bluegrass song comes on, I'm jamming for sure. Oh, yeah. There's a there's one kind of bluegrassy ish song uh, Zach Brown band does. Yeah, uh, called I think it's the wind. It's kind of got a, a little bit of a bluegrass feel to it. That's one of my favorite songs by Zach Brown Band. Who's I love Zach Brown Band. Um, yeah, but that's yeah. one of the artists that Jimmy Buffett always plays yeah. with and loves. Zach so. Brown is kind of like one of those almost fusion bands. Yeah, he's very he's very mainstream, but it's not a bad mainstream it's, it's a, not pop country mainstream it's, it's a this is easy to listen to because we're a little bit country well, and we're a little rock and i take that back there's things. one of his latest albums there are some songs i would say are pretty pop countryish. i i mainly listen to when i listen to zach brown i mainly listen to um i'm trying to think of the album name i think it might be highway 25 or at least the album that that song is on you know like knee I deep know, so i can't help yeah well it's several years old now but that's when i listen to zach brown that's what i think of and that that record is definitely yeah. one of my favorites out of anything even remotely country he's he's one of the my tolerable <laughs> yeah uh bands so what about um, chris stapleton you ever he's to coming chris? he's coming i was gonna, alan I, jackson I was gonna is ask too. about that alan jackson's coming to the brandon amphitheater uh aaron lewis uh, oh i know both of you know stained have you listened to Aaron Lewis? Unfortunately, I do. Have you listened? Have you listened <laughs> you to Aaron me? Lewis's country though? Uh, I heard I've, that that's like a big thing now. It is awesome. Why did you say unfortunately? Because dude, I love Stain. I'm, dude, you have to love Stain. There are so many shows where we would just put on I, the Stain. I would put hits. on. <laughs> or like, I, would I would put on Stain. I'd be like, "Yep," and I would, or he would do it. I'd be like, "Yep." I guess I just, missed that because I I saw Stain when I'm they not played a Stain here with fan. Hinder and Three Days Grace. Exactly. Dude, I would play the big three Stain songs on loop like at every show. Oh yeah. And if if I wasn't playing that, it would probably be like I may throw in a, a Limp Biscuit song just for something to change up, and then I yeah. go right back into the Stained. On all those shows, guys that I listening lost money. to, I'm hope I hope I'm not alone and not oh, a Stained fan. You're, no, you're alone I know I'm not. World. I know I'm not. I'm here with you. Every guys, time right? I would lose like a large amount of money on a show, I would just play Stain because <laughs> it would make me feel a little bit better. Yeah, band, <laughs> bands would walk in setting up and they would just start belting out the lyrics. And it's like, yeah, everyone yeah, of here loves know Stain. Everybody knows. If it. you put on a song about Stain right now, I, I guarantee I know the lyrics. It's not. Yeah, but would you start singing along at the top of your lungs, dude? No. It's good. No. No. no, it's good. It's okay. Aaron Lewis's country is really good too, and he's coming here at the. Brandon Amphitheater as well with uh, Brantley Gilbert and someone else. I'm not sure who. Chris Young too. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be living at the Brandon Amphitheater with all these bands coming. <laughs> I hate that they put it in Brandon. They're making that big. Oh yeah, that I've seen. Big. I've There's seen pictures. Some big shows already. And they're like, it is legitimate. Like it looks huge. Uh, who who played not too long ago? Breaking Benjamin, right? Wasn't that uh? Was that it, in Jack? I thought that, that even was like, happened yet. That was at, it's at the Coliseum. 
No. I'm so talking I, about the Brandon Amphitheater. I don't think it was at the Brandon Amphitheater. I don't think it's happened no. yet. Somebody because yeah, it's Facebook not being selling it, their tickets to it. It doesn't hasn't okay. finished being built yet. Oh. Brandon Amphitheater. Or yeah. if it has, it's just recently. Then that I'm not sure. I can't remember where it was. I do know you all not. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe but, it wasn't Brandon, just not the Brandon Amphitheater that we're talking about. I'm maybe sure. so. I can't remember maybe where so. it was. I think it's at the Mississippi Coliseum. No, it was in Brandon. I, I made like a huge, whatever I'm talking about. I don't know if it was Breaking Benjamin. Because I'm pretty sure it was I like was, in November or December. That was in December. I'm then trying to remember where it was. I was going to go to it with someone uh, and then ended up not being able to. Same. But I don't know why I can't remember where that was. It wasn't that long ago. I want to say it was like October, wasn't it? Yeah, something. But yeah, into the um, years at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Matthews Band is coming to. Yeah, Grand I saw that. That's crazy. First time he's. See? I think that's the first time he's ever, uh, or will be the first time he's ever played Mississippi anywhere. Avenged really? Sevenfold and Breaking Benjamin are playing right now. You are kidding me! Literally right now. Just for at the people listening, oh, that's the Mississippi College Coliseum. I was about oh, to say, okay. I have not heard a damn thing about Okay. That. We're recording this right now, Wednesday, January 31st. So, like, If just you were going to say that content, was at the Mississippi Coliseum, I would have been context. like, who in the Cut hell promoted that? Off, we're going we're out. <laughs> no. no, like, who promoted that? Because they did a terrible job. Um, okay, so one thing I want to talk about that I've been kind of thinking about lately, just, like, when I'm in the car and stuff, is... Since you're all into metal and mixing and recording that kind of stuff, has it really changed that much in the last like ten years? Well, like since you started, it being the way like, the sound and the way you record things. Because I know things are ever evolving. Yeah, and people want different things. Oh yeah, it. I mean, it seems like one of those slower moving genres. The sound is the sound. And there's not much um, up room. In that. I would Is say that true like, or false. And uh, well, over the past ten years, it's really like the modern metal mix for like your typical big, like modern metalcore band, for example. Yeah, uh, I hate to get down into all the tiny little subgenres. Yeah, but um, over the last ten years, it really has changed quite a bit. And okay, and that's that's kind of like it's moved towards that. A lot of people would consider it kind of the overproduced sound, like really perfect sounding drums that not okay. necessarily realistic sounding drums, but just perfect polished. Uh, and, and well, not just drums, like anything, just very. Yeah, very, I can see guitar go all the same ways. Yeah, it's well. very you know, like perfect sounding. Whereas, I mean, an album I'm sure both of you are familiar with, um, the impending doom album with was it called More Than Conquerors or? Uh, Serpent Serpent? Serpent Serpent Serpent. 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 Yeah. Yes. Serpent Serpent. That album. If you think about that album, that was that's so natural sounding. No. No, for it compared to today's times. Okay. Like, well, the drums I, I was sound comparing like it to their previous a live albums. Drum kit. Yeah. And and but today's times, it's like you would never play a drum kit and have it sound exactly like the drums on a like a, an album for a modern metalcore band that was done within the last few years. So I mean, it's a it's a very cool sound. I like the sound. I personally kind of, uh, for a lot of bands, steer in that direction. But I, I also try to keep things like kind of a keep a, a balance. Now, I don't want things to sound like 100 percent fake for everything. You know, I, I right. 
I do use real drums. I do use a lot of the real drums that I record in the the mix. Of course, I blend drum samples with mics and things like that to sort of create a more consistent tone. Uh, yeah. Add and and add things to it that you couldn't otherwise if you just were working with a single snare mic or a single snare drum. You know, blending other snares, you can kind of uh, create any kind of tone you want. But at the same time, I try to I try to strike a balance between natural and that modern you know, digital sound that is becoming so popular, especially with modern metal. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of engineers that do a really, really good job with that. Uh, one being one of the biggest names in the metal uh, engineering world at the moment would probably be Will Putney. He's definitely a lot more on the like natural organic side of things, but he does it in a way that still really appeals to people that are all about the, you know, really kind of fake digital yeah. sounding stuff. Uh, and so, I mean, yeah, just striking a balance is important to me, uh, but it definitely has changed quite a bit. Uh, yeah. there are engineers out there that are just, everything is fake about it. I mean, they'll track, <laughs> you may track a real kit, a real drum kit, but everything gets replaced. Turn with those sample. into samples and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you know, guitars get tracked into an amp sim software on the computer. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't really go that far. I don't really stick amp sims or anything but yeah i mean there's a there's a fine line i think that is still kind of being messed around with as as it moves yeah, on but it is progressing though oh yeah absolutely um is it do you have a lot of people that come in here and they like that new sound but they they throw out some older metal names cuz they want some old sounds as well have you been challenged with that task before oh yeah definitely there's a and i've even had uh yeah like so like you're saying like you're saying kind of like a like a mix of things like maybe some old older type style for maybe the drum mix and then but maybe right. more overproduced sounding guitar tones like exactly that. yeah so yeah. that that's actually quite common uh and i i think that's more likely with bands that um that kind of leave their sounds to like the individual musicians, right? Yeah. So a lot of bands may come in and all of them are uh, on the same page about how they want everything to sound. You know, the guitar player and the drummer both want drums to sound the same way, you know? Yeah. But other bands will come in where everybody kind of has their own thing and every every other musician in the band just leaves it to them. So I may have someone say, uh, you know, I want my drums to sound like this band from 2003. Yeah. While the guitarist wants just the most overproduce you know digital sounding thing in the world which in that case i kind of like don't really go that far you know i yeah. kind of try my best obviously kind of to make everyone happy that. right yeah you know, but at the, at the end of the day i have to do what i think is is good for me uh, as a as an engineer yeah can't just throw something that i think sounds bad because it could reflect poorly yeah exactly but, and also if you're not familiar with that kind of sound and you're not totally comfortable you don't I mean, want them to sound bad Right. Well. It it's rare that a band comes in and either they like as a band or just a particular person from the band tells me that they want something to sound identical to yeah. something else. That's not super common. Um normally it's the you know, it's like uh, I kinda want my snare to sound like this album and so I'll I'll shoot for it and that's that's not too difficult to do. It's not difficult to get a very similar style yeah. out of a particular drum or you know guitar tone or whatever uh so that and that's 
very much doable. And then you can still kind of put your own twist on it to try to keep your, like, try to keep it sounding, you know, like your typical mix. You try to add, like, yeah. an identity behind your mix so that if someone were to listen to it, they could say, oh, this kind of sounds like so-and-so, you know. Absolutely. And that, that's, a, that's a big thing is, as you progress as an engineer, as a um, producer, is kind of adding an identity to your mixes. That's something that takes a lot of time. Uh, but if, if, you're, if you become really familiar with some of the biggest names, you can spot their mixes just about anywhere. Like, it it right. doesn't take much time because they have that identity behind it. Like that, they have their sound. Yep. So I mean, that's you can something also I always work tell towards. that kind of stuff with top 40 songs. So right. I mean, yeah. There's definitely those producers that are big and huge and you know their, their so that, styles. That's always, you know, at the back of my mind, like regardless of what they want to shoot for, like my, you know, you could tell me you want this or that. And my, uh, mind is going to be set on doing that in a way that still sounds like it, like something I would normally do. It still carries that sound that I try to keep consistent among any mix that I do. And I bet bands are aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Cause they, I mean, they, <laughs> if they come to you and they chose they, you, exactly, yeah. they know your sound. Exactly. Hopefully they did their research and they, I mean, there's a, don't just I have, think you're doing just whatever. Right. Tells I them, luckily so. haven't ran into that problem. Where like a, I'm sure it'll come. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it'll happen. Where where like a band comes in and they just they want me to do something that is just way outside my you know typical sound like yeah something I've just never even done before. That's that's rare. Uh, I have had bands approach me and ask up front, and I'll just be like you know I'll be honest and say oh, it's not really something I've ever done, or maybe just not even something I'm really willing to do. You'd probably yeah. be better off somewhere else, and that you know that ends up working out all right. They, they That's go along smart. and, you know, nothing bad happens out of it. But I've never had a band come in after, you know, or after discussing the, the dates and whatnot and everything else and then come in and just lay it on me. Like, I want to sound exactly like Adele in a metal band you know, or something ridiculous. Yeah. That's never happened. But I have heard plenty of horror stories from engineer friends that have gone through that kind of thing. And it's like, as a, as a band, you should know what kind of sound you're going to be getting. Like You're going to someone for a reason. I would assume i at least i hope so you know yeah you need to so know you, that you need yeah exactly like you, you should know what you're getting into like don't go to a, an engineer and try to make them do something they're not even close to being comfortable doing that, right so that they've never done before because if they agree to it in the first place it's probably not going to come out sounding too well exactly i think that's why a lot of people go to like will yip yeah he's big and like the in like the emo and indie rock uh-huh. world but he's also done like code orange's record and like okay yeah that's he, a that's a band he, that's blown up lately it's code orange but he also worked with like lauren hill for like nine years oh really so he's like been through everything yeah but, he knows each kind of genre but he puts himself like he is the extra member of the band mm-hmm. and says you know i'm here to do whatever's gonna help you sound the best like this isn't yeah it's got that, his that's definitely that's definitely a like a point of separation for a lot of engineers is the ones that will produce and in in this in this way it's like pr- production when it comes to like if you're looking at an album credits right and you look on the back and it says engineered by so and so mixed mastered by so and so or produced by someone else that typically means that they became a member of the band for that time and yeah and helped write and that is uh, I think I do people, that some I think when people but, think about albums that they know about 
mostly mainstream albums, they think of producers mm-hmm. as doing right. Yeah, all it's that a work. word that's yeah, it's a word that is often misused, uh, even among audio engineers. Like people kind of have their own definitions. Some people consider it just literally being an engineer, right? Like recording it, which isn't really the way it should be used. Other right. people think it just means you're adding effects or stuff like that, and then kind of my version and, and the version um, a lot of people I know use is kind of writing the song, you know, like helping with writing, going over the material and trying to make it a little bit better. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean writing the entire song from scratch. It may mean right. kind of tweaking some verses or, or the chorus, maybe the vocal melodies or vocal patterns that you're doing or changing transitions, whatever, you know, just kind of moving things around and just polishing it is is really what I, at least I think of when I, when I'm saying production. Right. And, uh, that's, that's definitely uh, a big thing. A lot of engineers will do. And that's something that kind of separates a lot of them because bands, a lot of the big bands, you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't, but how many big bands that literally go into the studio without writing even 10 seconds of material that just have it done for them. And that's, I mean, that's kind of why a lot of them are called artists. A lot of these songs, these people don't write, not even a second of it. They're but they're artists. They they record it, they play it live. So I mean, it's production is really like a really vast thing. It, it can be it can mean so many things. It can mean like I said, just a little bit of writing, or it can mean an entire song. Yeah. So it really depends. So if anybody listening can go back through this episode and count how many times I've misused the word production. <laughs> I'm sitting here uh, thinking I, about I mean, it. just how Warlord we intro yeah <laughs> how we intro the freaking episode was completely wrong but you guys got it okay um well I, it should also be noted because I don't think it was even mentioned that the whole reason you said productions is because my previous name was premier productions okay or at there least at least I'm sure that's why that's why Caleb said it and then <laughs> you just followed in his yeah, footsteps yeah that's yeah, it you just followed in his footsteps right he knew that it <laughs> why did you productions. why did you change Name. I changed two studios. Uh, well, really two reasons. For one, ne- not necessarily the main reason, that Warlord Productions just didn't really roll off the tongue like Warlord Studios to me, at least. But the I would say probably the bigger reason is because uh, studios kind <laughs> My of intro would beg to differ. But <laughs> <laughs> studios kind of like incorporates the the other side of work that I do, which is development and stuff like that. So like. So it can be it, there's an audio studio, basically creative. But in that yeah, studio. yeah. Like I, I also do work on uh, like, like we were talking about earlier, um, programming stuff and that side of development. We have so a green it just kind of includes back. both. <laughs> yeah, video stuff that is definitely not me. Any kind of graphic design or video, like, nope. You need to go somewhere well, else. I know where to go. I know where you can go. Do you want to hit me up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, cool. We re- we really do need to. If you get any of those clients, think about me. Client, we can. You mean ones that are looking for album artwork and stuff? Yeah, any yeah. of that kind of stuff, or any front end stuff of the stuff that Absolutely. you're programming or coding. We can definitely team up. Absolutely. Work through that stuff together. I would love that. I'm glad I know someone that does that. Yeah, now. there you go. Because I absolutely this, can't do it. I mean, it would look like I said, like you just drew it with a pen tool and paint. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> currently looking for someone to code a download card. I think <laughs> just carried over from last week. Well, 
Okay, so what's next for you? Yeah, let's go ahead and just jump into that stuff. What's next for me? Um, Anything planned, or are you just going to keep trucking with? Just kind of keep trucking. I mean, I still have a lot of uh, <clears throat> work to do with this place to finish it. Uh, well, I say a lot. Not a lot. Uh, I just kind of touch everything up and, and polish it off, get the place finished entirely. Uh, so that's still on my uh, to-do list. And then just keep working with uh, bands, you know, just kind of the same thing for a while. Um, got a lot of work going on at the moment, a lot of projects, different bands. So that, you know, that's keeping me busy. Um, that's hopefully that's will continue. Yeah. But uh, that'll be, that'll be my main, my main uh, thing for the next, I don't know. When are you future. projected to <laughs> get done with school? Uh, hopefully within the next, see, I'm kind of, off balance i guess you could say i okay started in um in the spring okay uh so hopefully about a year and a half okay ish yeah i'll be finished so sounds good that's good well where can people find you on the internet uh well i have a website um warlordstudiosms.com uh, i'm also on facebook warlord studios and uh instagram at warlord under, underscore studios Awesome. Those are those are the main three uh three places that I stay pretty active. Sweet. Well, anything else you want to add? Yeah. Any questions for us cuz I know you've been doing a lot of audio engineering for us. And don't just mention how we suck at setting up mics <laughs> or anything. Just Oh. Keep it simple and friendly. I don't know, Caleb, when are you uh when are you going to get back to uh Captain Straight Edge booking shows. We need some more uh, gigs. Well, I'm not Straight Edge anymore. So. I know that's the funniest part. Uh, well, I don't remember how that meme even came to life. Gary Ben. That was. Not really. That was. They used to call me our number one listener. <laughs> Gary Shout Boone out. Used to call me Captain Straight Edge for some reason. Uh, from that. Uh, you used to wear like a hat that had it written uh, all over it or something. For my birthday, I had a. I threw a show on my twenty first birthday. Okay. And they made Hampton made party hats, <laughs> and mine said Captain XXX. And then, <laughs> that was hilarious. Remember that like old poster? Somebody printed like a poster of you. Hampton. Was it? Was it Hampton? It That's not the same party Mosh. though. It was. That was for Christmas. That was for Christmas. Yeah. It says something about Mosh, and it just it just said no. Ugly. It was just Mosh across the top, and yeah. it was just you making the meanest face. One of the or best. Christmas presents I've probably ever gotten. <laughs> yes. Hampton knows how to do Christmas. We should have framed that. We need and to I was thinking that. about how like metal and hardcore in Jackson might be dead oh, for, forever. Might be. No, it well, yeah. okay, forever. It's you can't say for sure that it is, but right, as far as right. right now, no, it is as dead as it has ever been. At least as far as yeah. I know. There's you know, like Yeah. Since its inception. Yeah, yeah. You know. And it's unfortunate. You know, like, I, I mean, I know not, when it like began. Yeah, Early I mean, when 2000s? is that? Yeah, somebody, any of our fans. Well, no, this is for my second to... podcast. I'm going to start. Oh, Jackson Music History. Jackson Music is this, History. Is this your gnome or is this like real life? No, this could be real life. <laughs> whenever I, whenever any of these can ideas can be real life, but uh. But, like, so, if anybody knows when Jackson, like, <coughs> hardcore slash post-hardcore 
began here? Shoot me an email. What's, what's the first year you remember it being? Shoot me an email. I'm sure it's like 2002, 2003. It definitely would be like before my time. Yeah. I think the first show the first show I ever went to, I don't even remember the bands that played. Maybe one of you would, though. It was, um, <clears throat> I was in seventh grade. But it was a show that some girl did for her senior project at Northwest Rankin. And it was in there. Uh, oh, yeah. That was that was really late in the game. Yeah, like that that was if, the first show I went to. That would have been Northwest uh, Rankin was the first show. Then yeah, that would have been. See, it was my her, grade. Always followed the year. So that would have been two thousand seven. Yeah, because they had to do like promotion of some event. Cody Bass did the same thing. I was Cody Bass. I think I think Thunderstag. Oh, yeah. I think Thunderstag played, and uh, I think that's about the only band I remember. Yeah, Church of the Highlands is my first show. Mm, two thousand five. Right. Mine was anybody that listens to this podcast and knows plastic glasses. It was plastic glasses at the old horizon, which is now that financial office right beside IHOP in Jackson. Which is like right there. Yeah. We're like right behind it. Yeah. Is that it's in that little business complex. That's like, it's a finance, like cash cash loan place now but if you drive by it you can see it on the frontage road and on i-55 it's literally like to the left of ihop so in the in the little strip with mr chen's uh cowboy maloney's no 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 ihop is like way closer to here yeah yeah and the in the mr chen like behind fuddruckers on the frontage road no that's i'm talking more south Towards Hooters. Oh, okay. Okay. Now it's a JG Wentworth. 877 cash. <laughs> no, they didn't pay us for that sponsorship. <laughs> um, Speaking of paid sponsorships. Yeah, go ahead. If you want a 5% off discount with Warlord Studios. <laughs> oh, enter, wait. Enter our discount code. I thought you were about to do a real one. I was like. Uh, we don't have a real one. This is totally Our made up, by the way. Don't ask Microsoft him. Paint. <laughs> Something totally random. Okay. All right. Yeah, we need to sign, sign off of this thing. All right. If you want to listen to this on SoundCloud, for future reference, soundcloud.com slash pod, facebook.com slash pod, twitter.com slash pod. Instagram.com slash <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Pod. Yeah, that's true. Uh, if you want to shoot us an email about whatever the hell you want to send us an email, please don't send me any viruses because I open these on my work computer sometimes. Caleb at innerspacepod.com. Uh, Go arrows. Subscribe. Oh, yeah. Go subscribe, like, like comment. Review. review. Yeah. Uh, I think and that's... share. Share the episodes that you like the most. Yeah. Because we need some more ears on these things so we can uh, get some more variety of people. If you want to sponsor this podcast, send us an email at caleb at innerspacepod.com. And yeah, record, record at Warlord Studios. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right. See you.